Well, happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. And well, let's give it up for the moms today. We are in Leviticus uh, chapter 19, if you'll turn there. And of course, I always encourage you to be a student of the scripture, so pull something out to write with. Uh, last week, we kind of opened up with uh, you know, the thought that these... These two chapters, 18 and 19, dealing really with the Ten Commandments. They're not in order, but every one, all ten are mentioned in these last, um, well, not last. I bet some of you guys are wishing it was the last two chapters. But um, uh, in these two two chapters here, and, and again, I just challenge you to count how many times he will say that, I, the Lord, your God, am holy. The two chapters deals with holiness. He uses the commandments. Holiness, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a difficult topic to cover. Because honestly, when you mention the word holy, well, at least the world, you know, the outsiders, they think of this holiness like Jesus with a halo, just walking two feet off the ground and, they don't do anything wrong. They're holy, you know. That, but that's not what it means. Not at all. Um, Jesus wouldn't say, be therefore holy as I am holy, if that was the case. Because none of us can be. Agreed? Do I have any sinless people here today? I'd like to meet you. Just to tell you you're wrong. Um, no. It's the uh, best way to explain it is the term righteousness. There is a righteousness that is imputed into our lives because of faith. Agreed? When anyone puts their trust and their faith in the cross and they confess with their mouth the Lord, believe in their heart that he's been raised from the dead, they're saved at that moment, if they're truly saved, righteousness is imputed into their lives. And when it says we stand before God in righteousness, it's his righteousness, not ours. But yet the Bible does talk about walking as Christ walked. In fact, that's what we ended up with with last week, the challenge of walking like the Lord walked. Paul even said that to a young pastor, to, to just walk as Christ walked. You know, I, I get it. I think the Holy Spirit does show us things. You know, we, at least he convicts us, does he not? We, we do something wrong, that conviction um, touches us, and then we, we purpose in our heart not to do it again. How many has ever been there? But I'll be honest with you. I learned more about righteousness and holiness, how to walk in th- this life, By studying the scriptures, I learn more what pleases him by the word. And again, I really feel um, privileged to be a part of this fellowship because there's so much love for the Bible. And I hear it. I see you carrying your Bibles in. I see you writing. You know, some of these are even challenged about memorizing scripture. 
coming to me saying, what's right, what's wrong, Harry? And uh, I so appreciate that. So as we go through this, remember that righteousness and holiness is implanted by faith, but it's also, as June Hunt put it to Irma, my wife, it's also practical Christianity. There's just a certain way God has called us to walk in this life. Um, someone once said to me, you know, Harry, um, you teach a, a cheap grace. In fact, they left the church because of that. And I thought about it for a while because, you know, I, don't, I, I thought that sounds like an oxymoron, though, cheap grace. The reason I say that is because grace cost a lot. It wasn't cheap at all. Grace cost God his own son. Payment was, was deep. We're just the recipient of that grace. It doesn't make it cheap. So I've learned over the years that grace gives the enablement to live the life that he's called us to live. Grace is something you experience. It's not something you really learn. Grace is when your eyes and heart are open up to the Holy Spirit and he shows you a path or a walk. You walk therein and before you know it, you're doing things you'd never have thought you would have done a year ago. You've ever been there, Christian? Well, I don't know if I could ever love that person. That guy did me so wrong, man, you know. I'm trying, Lord, and when you stop trying and ask the Holy Spirit to do, do it through you, bam, you know, you find that you're loving somebody that year, two years ago, you hoped you wouldn't share eternity with. Anyway, someone asked me at the first service, are we going to finish chapter 19 today? Let me inform you, we will not. <laughs> and here's the funny thing. It was funny. It's funny to me. I, I go through this. I, I go through it. I, I get up around 530 and I'll go through it, and I time it. You know, I try to be very well organized. And I'll go, okay, I, I can do this. I can do this chapter with the time. I've, I've never, ever been able, because I tell you silly things like that, and you're going, Harry, I just want to study the Bible. Just shut up and start teaching. Okay, cha chapter uh, 19, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Keep your eyes in the word and follow with me, saying, Speak unto the congregation of the children of Israel. Say unto them, here you go, You shall be holy. The word holy means to be separate. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, I am holy. Now again, I, I'm probably repeating myself maybe a little more than I'd like, but I am, or I, the Lord your God, it's claiming ownership. The reason... We live a lifestyle the way we do. is It's because we don't really own ourselves. We belong. We're property. We belong to him. Wouldn't you agree, Christian? And he's got ownership. Uh, he gives the marching orders. Now, let me talk a little bit more about holiness. And I'll try to do this quickly. Going back, 
maybe a year ago, when we were going through the book of Exodus, chapter 40, we were looking at all the implements of the tabernacle, the furnishings. And we had ended with that each piece of that tabernacle was holy. It was set apart. It was hallowed. In other words, if you walked into the tabernacle, you wouldn't pull up a chair and put your feet up on the altar of incense. You would consider this is really a sacred place. This is holy, man. You know, it's like when Moses received the Ten Commandments. The order was, Moses, take off your shoes, your sandals. Why? You're on holy ground. What made it holy? The Word of God. You're receiving the Word of God. It makes it holy. And and I'm not trying to be weird, but in a way, right now, this is a holy moment. Because we're, we're studying that which is holy and sacred. The Scriptures. And a lot of people... You know, they they talk about the Bible as though it's a comic book or something. You know, they tell the stories as like, oh, yeah, dude, did you hear? You know, I I think maybe, listen, we need to, there's got to be a little bit of reverence to the word of God when we read it. Well, why? Well, for one reason, in Psalms 138, I believe it is, he's taken his word and he's esteemed it above his own name. His name to the Jews was so sacred and so holy, they wouldn't even pronounce it. I had a friend in Israel, and when he, we would write or email, whenever he would mention the word God, he would always leave O out of G-D. It's, it was embedded in him that you don't say God. It's holy. It's sacred. He takes his word and he places it above that, And I think, folks, when we read the word of God, there's got to be, you know, hey, I'm not saying literally take off your shoes, but there's got to be a respect when we read the word of God. Amen? That's why whenever I teach inductive Bible study, the one thing that I, I keep pressing over and over and over in the beginning is make sure you pray before you start. Make that appeal to the Holy Spirit, because if you're not, you're trying to comprehend with just your physical mind, with your mind, your earthly mind, and we really need heavenly mind. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen, guys. And that's when the Word of God becomes alive and sharper than a double-edged sword. It can even pierce to the dividing soul and spirit. It goes into the marrow. I'm telling you guys, the Word of God becomes alive. It speaks. The Logos Word, it speaks to us. So let me ask you a question, dear friend. Last time you were in your devotion, did it speak to you? Or were you trying to just get through your yearly thing, your daily Bible? And it's good. I'm doing it with Irma, the daily Bible, but I want it to speak to me. I, I want to be a little different after I'm done. Give me a fat amen. Come on. Stay with me, all right? That's verse 1. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, I'm bringing this up because the Bible says that we are a temple. The temple of the Holy Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit lives in us. It's where he dwells. What happened in the temple in the Old Testament? Worship. In fact, those five offerings we studied about months ago, In the first five chapters, the burnt, the meal, the peace, the trespass, sin. Every time a person would bring, say, an ox for the the offering of consecration, the burnt offering, he was called a worshiper. 
The worshiper would bring the peace offering. The worshiper would bring the meal offering, meaning my service. He was considered worshiping when he would bring his offering to the Lord. Paul, the apostle, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, calls us a living tabernacle. So what happens in here? What happens with this? We're worshipers. And what we do is considered sacred. It's considered hallowed. That's why when we look into the word of God, we say, listen, let's treat this, you know, with some respect. Let's keep all the distractions at a minimal. Let's try to do our best to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. When we worship, leave all the junk outside. In fact, start to worship before you get here. How do you do that, Howard? Praying. Lord, I leave all my cares at your feet. I lay all my burdens at your feet. I want to go to church with my brothers and sisters and I want to worship the Lord our God and I want to leave different. I don't want to leave the same. You you with me so far, guys? We are the temple and it is considered holy. That's why Paul would say, don't defile it. Isn't it hard to worship God when you know the whole week has just been rough and you've been defiling this thing all week long and you've been... Just keep covering it under the blood. And then you try to get to church. and worship. Isn't it hard? Of course it is. You know, when I, I think of this, that this 62-year-old temple, housing the Spirit of God, housing the Word of God, People say, well, you're 62. What what could you possibly be struggling with? I'm old. I'm not dead. It does bring me to this awareness that when something does come in to defile it. Listen to me, kids. When something does come in to defile it, I need to repent. I know that's another religious thing. Oh, there he goes, you know, like, you know, the guy with the sandwich board signs, repent, you know, the kingdom of God. Metanoia is the Greek word. It just means agree with God. And today we agree with God that if we allow defilement, if we allow our bodies to be defiled with sin and botry and all the stuff we studied last week, man, it's going to be difficult to worship in the temple of God. And we have to get it under the blood of Christ and ask for cleansing. Amen. Metanoia literally means to agree with God and turn away from it. It's not rocket science. And if God says to do that, don't you think he'd give us the power, the enablement to do that? Agree with me. He wouldn't say, hey, I want you to do this, knowing that we wouldn't be able. That that, that would just be a, that's just a nasty trick. But no, If he tells us to repent of something, the Holy Spirit always gives the enablement to turn and walk away. So verse 3, it says, you shall fear every man. He really starts to hammer the Ten Commandments here. Not in order, but you shall fear every man his mother and father. Here's my Mother's Day message, okay, guys? (laughs) Keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Turn ye not unto idols, nor make to yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord, the Lord your God. That's the fifth commandment. Um, the Sabbath, I believe, is the fourth. Uh, worshiping and serving God is first and second. Listen, just 
God has shown us that who we should worship and how we should worship. We only worship the Lord our God, and that's it. A little further in our study, we're going to talk about trying to co-mingle and mix, even the way we worship, mix things up, where God says, no, I've shown you how to worship. And the way we worship is only in spirit and truth. What do I mean by that? Well, I don't think, and it's just personal, gang, but I don't think you and I could ever worship God without the Holy Spirit of God. I, I think that a lot of worship that goes up today is just lip service. I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about our, I'm not talking about you guys. I'm just talking about in Christendom. It has become religious. It has become, you know, uh, rep, um, reputation. It's become um, just another. You know, you know what I'm talking about. It's just lip service. Like communion can become just, you know, a religious thing and not something real and alive in our, in, our, in our hearts. I think that when we come, we, ask, we make that appeal to the Holy Spirit. When Richie starts to lead us in worship, we should be asking that the Holy Spirit will come and reveal Christ to us like he's never revealed him before to us. That our eyes would be open to things we were once blind to. Our ears would be open up to things that maybe we were deaf to. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Maybe you're even here today and you're not even sure what on earth I'm talking about. But you can understand this. That without the Spirit of God helping you, you will never come to God. Never. And that troubles people. And it even troubled people back in the times of Jesus. Because when Jesus conveyed that truth, that no man's coming to the Father unless he's drawn. That's when he lost the multitudes that were following him. That's when everyone, whoa, now time out, Jesus. You've gone a little bit too far now. You're saying we can't do this on our, in our own power, in our own will? According to Jesus, no. According to Jesus, no man's coming to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And I'll tell you what, that opens, uh, that opens a lot of thought. How I pray, how I share the word. You know, I wonder how many people I bugged to the, they would finally say, yes, I'll pray with you just to get you off my back. When, if the, the Holy Spirit of God doesn't bring them and illuminate the purpose of the cross, they still are in sin. So when we pray, we, I, I pray that the Spirit of God would open a blind eye and Open a deaf ear. What did you hear, Saint, when you, the first time you got, when you, first time, I hope it's the only time, when you got saved? What did you hear? Did you hear his voice? Did you sense his spirit? You know? You know what? We're not, we're not given the liberty to worship God any way we want. We're not. In fact, it was Packer, J.R. Packer said, mental images are simply the result of a mental image, what I think. I remember I was uh, friends uh, with a pastor once, and uh, I don't know how he got so whacked, but um, all of a sudden he's, he's, he's writing 
these articles about setting a room up in your house and, and, and painting it a certain way and having a, a dually. What are those things you put on coffee tables? You know, the, yeah, them. And, uh, you know, you just have to have the right candles and you have to have the right feel and the right, you know, uh, wattage of the light bulb. And, you know, that, that's the flesh gang. Paul worshipped in a prison cell one time. Prison doors were opened. You know what he said to that dear woman, the Samaritan woman? She goes, look, you might think it's on that mountain that you worship. Jews think it's that mount, but there's coming a time where people will worship God, but will worship him in spirit and in truth. We are not given the liberty to do it any way we want. And that's what's happening to the church today. It's called the emergent church. You just get the right fog. I, I saw a church service with fog on the stage. Right light show. You know, let's entertain them. You know, it breaks my heart. Because some of those, and there's usually a younger generation that's involved. And I realize, you know, they're singing, but it's, it's not worship. Well, let's move on. Because that's not us. Let's say praise the Lord for that. That's why Rich can come up here and be by himself. And we could just worship as if we had a whole band up here. Amen, guys? Because it's the Spirit of God that leads us. Verse 5. And if you offer a sacrifice of peace offering unto the Lord... You shall offer it at your own will. It's, it, remember, the peace offering was one of the free will offerings. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it. And on the morrow, in other words, you could eat some of it tomorrow. And if it, and if it ought remain until the third day, it shall be burnt with fire. The whole thing has to be consumed by the third day. Either you eat it or you burn it. If it be eaten at all on the third day, notice the wording, it is abominable. It shall not be accepted. In other words, after the third day, no leftovers. And man, I love leftovers. I, I'm just a little hungry right now. But it's just, it's just, I did. what is it with leftovers? Especially spaghetti, man, you know? Ah, never mind. Okay. And my wife's home cooking right now. Never mind. And therefore, everyone that eateth it shall bear his iniquity. Because he hath profaned, notice, the hallowed, the holy things of the Lord. That soul shall be cut off from among his people, his community. Remember the first five chapters, the first five offerings, the burnt, the meal, and the peace. They were free will offerings. The burnt offering was that offering of consecration. Lord, I want to be sold out to you. I'm bringing my offering. The next one is called a meal offering, which was my service unto the Lord. Lord, because I'm sold out for you, I want to serve you with all my heart. And you would bring in your meal or grain offering. And then, and then this is why this one's so unique. Because the, the, you didn't take any of the offering home as the worshiper for the burner meal. It all went to the priest or it was totally consumed. But you left it there. The peace offering, also called the fellowship offering, ah, oh man, 
That's where you could eat it the next day. You could have it with your family. In fact, you could even share it with the priest. And there's even a verse where it says you could fellowship with the Lord with it. It was the fellowship offering. I love that offering, don't you? And a lot of times we do that even when we're here. You know, as we're fellowshipping, we're eating the meat, the word of God, and we're in fellowship with him. Then we take it home and we share it with our loved ones. But it was voluntary. This is the, that, that offering where you would go and you would say, Lord, I'm so thankful and I love you and I want to worship you. But the question here is, why burn it? You know, first day, second day, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Third day, burn it, consume it. And, but, and, and I'm not really that sure why. I, I, but I know the pick what it paints for us. It just paints that, you know, you're all in. You know, when you go to worship God, you dig in. In other words, you're just not snacking on his presence. You're not just taking a nibble. You come to worship God, man, you want your heart in it. You want your mind in it. You want your hands in it. You want to worship God. Even if, even if you feel like you're the only person in this room, man, I am in this. I want this to be consumed by God. I want, to, I want him to know that I love him. When's the last time we said, Jesus, we just love you? You know, you don't hear that in religion. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I just want to hear your voice. I'm fellowshipping with you. I think that's the picture that it it paints. Verse 9, And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corner of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the, the gleanings of the harvest. Thou shalt not glean the vineyard, neither shalt thou gather uh, every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor, the stranger. I am the Lord your God. I think it's God's beautiful way of regarding the poor. In fact, some would even say it was God's welfare system. This was the way for them to take care of of the poor, the, the less fortunate. Now, what's going on here is, say you owned a, um, a field of, of just, say, wheat. You were required not to... To, to, to harvest the corners of your property. Usually it, it kind of added up to 10, 20% of your crop. You left it there. So if the poor, once you were done the harvest, the poor would ask you as the landowner, hey, can I just glean from the corners? And of course, according to their law, yes, you're, you're allowed. Now, according to Ruth, it is by request. You just couldn't go do it on your own. Remember the book of Ruth with Ruth and Naomi. They're coming from the the east side of the Dead Sea. They're making their way down into Bethlehem. And they come to this field that was owned by uh, Boaz. And Naomi went up, or Ruth went up and asked, Hey, can we glean? And when when Boaz turned around and and saw Naomi, Whoa, yeah, you have the whole field. It's yours, you know. And, um, and again, it's probably another study of the kinsman redeemer and all that. We don't have time to go through that whole thing. But it was something where, where they, they, they weren't just handed it. You know, they, they had to roll up their sleeves and they had to go to work. Yes, it's free. And yes, it's yours by God's law. 
but you, it wasn't just handed to you. You still worked. It wasn't food stamps. You know, gang, and, and I thank God for our country and the way, and the way we have provided for the poor and all that. And, I, and I'm not a political person, but I think just to hand things out freely is a mistake. Because of our human nature, our human nature, especially with men. So, ladies, I'll leave you out of this one. We like the path of least resistance, us guys. But a lot of guys, they love the work too. The Bible talks about it, especially in, the, in Proverbs, that God looks down on the lazy person or the slothful one. In fact, he even brings up this Proverbs where he says, hey, I can't go out to work. There's a lion in the street. <laughs> There's no lion in the street. You're just lazy and you don't want to get out of bed. Just again, it's a word of encouragement. I really believe that God wants us to work. In fact, he even says to the, to, to the husband, to the dad, if he doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel. Jesus, if you remember, in Mark chapter 2, when he was walking with the boys, he came across a field and he began to pluck the ears or the grain from the wheat and he's chewing. And all of a sudden, who pops out of the thicket? Pharisees. I often wondered how the Pharisees get there. They weren't allowed even to walk on a Sabbath. And here's all these little Pharisee heads popping up. Oh, we got you. We caught you. But... If that portion of scripture shows me anything, is Jesus wasn't rich at all. And yet you got this idea, you know, going circulating through the church that God wants us to be wealthy, wants us to be, you know, um, successful. And, and if you're not, possibly there's something wrong with you. Ever hear that teaching before? Someone once said to me, oh, that was up during the health and wealth movement and no one's really teaching that anymore. Oh, they are still hammering at. As long as a pastor can't believe God can provide, he's going to beat up the sheep for that. But I'll tell you something. Jesus has always provided for us, has he not? And I don't say this in a boastful way, you know me. But have you ever once heard me begging for money? Have you ever heard me ask you for money? I thank God that he put us in a movement where our senior pastor would say, if God guides, he provides. And the day I got to get up here and ask for money, let's just go out there in the amphitheater and have church out there. That's free. Look at verse 11. You shall not steal, neither uh, deal falsely, neither lie one to another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shall thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not defraud your brother, neither rob him. The wages of him that is a hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. In other words, if you're an employer, if you pay daily, you pay him at the end of the day, you don't say, hey, I'll give you your check in the morning. If it's weekly, you pay him on Friday. You honor God 
that way. He goes on and he says this, Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear the Lord thy God. I am the Lord. Now I looked at that verse, and even this morning I'm thinking, my goodness, why would, Lord, why would you have to throw that one in there? You, you, you don't curse the deaf. You don't mock them. They're deaf. They can't hear. They're not hearing. And so, sure, you could mock him, say anything. Well, he can't hear you. Or to put a stumbling block before somebody that's blind so they would trip over it. Why would the Lord put something like that in scriptures for us? Well, because the human nature can be that cruel. Someone just sent me something the other day. Said, Har, I think you should look at this. And it was this young girl. She looks like maybe 14, 15 years old. She's in high school. And there's like five or six girls just beating her to a pulp. Just all at once. Not one-on-one. Kicking her in the ribs. Hitting her in the head. Throwing things down. And it was just one of these frenzy of bullies. And just going, going at her. They interviewed the father. The father's crying. They interviewed the mother. They can't believe that humans can be that cruel. There was a time where kids thought it was cool just to stand next to somebody and when they weren't looking, hit them as hard as they could. I don't know if you've ever seen this on the news, but there was one incident where this young man hit an elderly man and killed him. Just cold clocked him, just knocked him right out. And you saw the guy die on the streets. That's how cruel the human nature can go. And I've seen it. As a police chaplain, I've seen it. As a pastor, I've seen it. Bullying isn't anything new. I know right now it seems to be brought up to everyone's attention right now for the media and all. But let me tell you something. You were doing it when I was in school. You find the weakest kid the nerdiest looking kid, and then you picked a fight with him and you just pummeled him. And isn't that, Human nature can be so cruel. Human nature can watch somebody starve. Listen, kids, listen, there's no condemnation, but listen, the human nature can watch somebody starve to death and do nothing about it. How can we do that? How can we sit back let children starve to death? Single moms struggle. Why are they struggling? Because the human nature can be so desensitized. Just banking on, well, the government will take care of them. We live in the last days, guys. We're to be salt and light. And James says, pure and undefiled religion is to look out for the orphan. To look out for the widow. That's what we're called to do. Not to build fancy churches. I want to put a sign there. I'm telling you, I'm going to do this one day. When you walk out, you're going to see a sign. You are now entering the mission field. You know... Modern education says we're nothing more than just animals. We evolved. We keep teaching our kids that. 
in the public system and why are we surprised when they act like animals? But we were, we were God's crowning jewels. We were created in his image. We are God's sons and daughters. We are Jesus' people. And we are to be different. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit where God dwells. And we were to act like that. We are to be holy. We are to be hallowed. And when we touch the word, it's sacred. When we pray, it's sacred. When we come to worship, it's sacred. We have to act like God's people. Not like animals. Verse 15. Boy, I can't wait to get out of Leviticus. (laughs) Hey, listen, you just get to hear it once. I study this stuff all week long. It's like, oh my goodness, you know. Hey, hey, just great opportunity just yesterday. And uh, yesterday, I think it was, there was a gentleman here in, in a, in a um, motorized uh, wheelchair device. Um, he looks homeless. And... Uh, Kind of had a, maybe one or two more than he should have, if you know what I mean. And he didn't smell like Old Spice, trust me. But I'll tell you, after I was done with him, I just said, can, can I pray with you? And he looked at me like I had three heads. So I prayed with him and I hugged him. And this man just broke in my arms. Just broke and cried. Now this might sound selfish. Man, did I feel like Jesus for a minute. We're called to do that. We're called to do that, not to turn our backs on the poor, a widow, an orphan. You with me, gang? You shall do no unrighteousness. Verse 15. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. You're not to be a respecter of persons. But in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer. You guys know what that is. Gossiping. Among your people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. You know, guys, again, not only is our our sinful nature, it can be cruel, but it also has the tendency to carry a tail. I think that's something we really need to be conscious of. Someone once said to me, you can tell the difference between telling the news or gossiping. When you tell the news, you broadcast it. When you tell a tale, gossip, you whisper it. And sometimes we can put the little flavor to it Let's pray for so-and-so. Oh, what happened? Oh, you should have heard. Oh, my goodness, we got to pray. It's just gossip. You know, it's like a butcher and a surgeon. They both cut meat. We've got to be careful we're not butchers. Somehow we have to ask the Holy Spirit, how do we, how do we help? How do we heal? How do we do that? How do we go and... You know, go to an elder and say, we've got to pray for somebody. I just learned. And with sincere hearts, pray. If you don't do that, you're just a butcher. 
cutting. You know, at the end of verse 6, or 13, or I'm sorry, verse 16 again, neither shall they stand against the blood of thy neighbor. Let, let me paraphrase that for you. God has called us not to stand idly by and just watch somebody getting hurt. And I don't mean like physically confrontation. I mean, just how do you just stand by as a Christian and just be idle? That's the challenge God lays out before us today. That we are to be active as believers and help where we can help. That's why I love the critical incident stress management team I used to be a part of. It was when we did 9-11, you know, uh, to sit at someone's desk, to hold a hand, just to listen, to give an ear, not just to wait for someone else to do it. Verse 17, thou shalt not hate, please, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt not in any wise rebuke thy neighbor. Thou shalt not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. You know, we have the tendency actually to to nurse hatred. We sometimes, when we feel like we have been wronged, we'll actually nurse that thing to justify, you know, the way we feel. We come here as tabernacles, which is holy. We come here to worship God, which is holy. To get into the word, which is holy. How do you do that when you have all against a brother or a sister? When you know in your heart you really don't even like that person. And then we're going to go, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. How do you do that? You know why, guys? Listen, I'm preaching to the choir. I understand that. But that's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. All you got to do, though, is take it to the cross. Jesus died for that person. So why would I feel I have the right to hold any grudge or even nurse it to keep it? No. You know, the Bible even talks about six things the Lord hates, yea, the seventh is an abomination. One of those things that the Lord says he hates is a person that gossip and sows discord. Some strong language, isn't it? So I'm just going to suggest to you as your pastor, don't, don't keep it pent up inside. Don't hold a grudge. Don't passively or aggressively have a cold shoulder towards anyone. Sometimes it's just laying it at the feet of Jesus because the person won't accept the apology. But then there's times where you just got to go to that person, you know, and you just say, listen, you know, who am I? I'm just so sorry. And we have to learn to ask for forgiveness. It's just saying you're sorry is not Repentance. I see that in marriages too. Sorry, honey, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. I think it's always a good practice to actually ask your mate to forgive you, just like we ask Jesus to forgive us. 
If we don't, guys, it's just going to lead to another emotion, and it's called hatred. And my goodness, I've seen hatred destroy so many people. It's destroyed families. How many of us know families that they're so dysfunctional now? Because maybe one or two, but there's hatred in the heart of one family member. And the next thing you know, there's no more Thanksgivings together. There's no more Christmases together. They're fighting with each other. I've seen churches split because one or two, somebody's got hatred in their hearts towards another brother. And when there's a little leaven, there's a lot of leaven. It leavens the whole lump. And before you know it, the whole church is sin sick. Just have to get it to the cross. Can't harbor it. Look at verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against your fellow Israelite. But love your neighbor. I'm paraphrasing verse 18 as yourself. In verse 19, he says this. He says, you shall keep my statutes. My word, thou shalt not let thy cattle uh, gender, and means don't mix with diverse kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. You don't mix the seeds together. Neither shall a garment mingle of linen and wool and come upon thee. You know that he, he's saying, I don't want you to co-mingle livestock. I don't want you to co-mingle seeds. It's called the principle of separation. And you know what, gang? There's some things in the Bible that I get, you know, and it, I mean, it's perfectly clear. But there's some things where I go, now, why would that be in there? What's wrong with, you know, having wool and linen together? It's not hurting anybody. Why not plant a few plants together as long as they're not choking each other out? It's a principle of separation. You know, when it talks about the seed in Matthew chapter 13, is some, you know, the sower went and sowed seed in, a, in certain types of fields. You know, guys, the reason why we don't co-mingle different religious systems together is because we won't be able to worship spirit and truth. We can't take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. Let's mingle it together until we find something that suits our fancy. No, God doesn't mingle that together. Did you ever see that little bumper sticker people are sporting around now? They've got a cross on it, and they've got different religious symbols all the way across. And the idea is, hey, let's just all get together. We can all, we're all going to worship the same God eventually. That's not true. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and only him shalt thou worship. And the only way to worship him is through Christ. You know, I'm going to stop there. Rich, make your way out, please. You know, guys, I had said earlier, you know, there's certain things in our lives we allow to creep in and uh, it stifles us. Listen to me, kids. Biggest concern, personally, that I have that something's going to get between me and Jesus. 
then I don't have the liberty just to worship Jesus any way I want. I worship Jesus because of His grace. Because of His grace, we're able to take anything, everything that's hindering us and lay it at His feet. But that sinful nature I was talking about earlier, you know, how cruel it can be. How desensitized it can be. You know, I, I've seen guys that have, and, and gals that have been walking with the Lord years and years and years. And they come, and coming to church and going home, it's just a routine. It's just a routine. You never see them with their hands up. There's... I'm not saying we do it all the time. I, I know that, you know, but, but never. There's, there's no tears of joy or tears of repentance. There's, there's nothing. It's, you look at their face, they're stoic. There's just, yeah, whatever, Har. Been doing this since the early 80s, man. I, you know, I was at Arthur's Catering. Where were you? You know, like, like that's a trophy. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, we should love him more and more. He's the one that saved us. This last song should we sing should be a prayer. Lord, anything in my life, I want it to be, I want you to take your, your Holy Spirit, and if it's not of you, I want you to burn it out. Because next Sunday or Wednesday or whenever I get together with a home fellowship, I want these hands up and I want the tears flowing. I want to worship you in spirit and truth. Amen? Let's stand.